Good morning, I'm Emerson, uh, representing the church board. And I don't know if you know it or not, but this is a special milestone uh, in the life of our congregation and particularly in Pastor Hank. Uh, this is his one year anniversary as being senior pastor. And uh, we're hoping for many more, um, but it's been exciting this past year, uh, serving with Pastor Hank on the church board, how he has really embraced this role, and uh, we think as a board doing a wonderful job in terms of leading our congregation. And uh, so we have a small token of thanks here. We know our senior pastor likes meat, so uh, I hope you uh, can get some meat with this. And. Um, uh, please take Chell along with you. Uh, the children are optional, but because uh, I know you need uh, time with her and with your family. You've yeah. been putting in a lot of time and effort, and we appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. This one was a little easier. The first service, I didn't know they were doing that, so I got choked up. But um, this is um, one year anniversary, and just been thinking a lot about it the last couple of weeks and just very grateful to this congregation. Um, I had a blessing um, this week to, to do the wedding of one of my best friends and I've known him for over 25 years and um, we we're just talking and he was like, so one year in, you know, like what's next? And I was just like, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm good, you know? And he was just like, oh, I was just asking like, do you, like, what do you see in the future? And I was just like, no, nah, I just feel really blessed. I feel blessed to be in this congregation. I feel blessed to serve with you all. Um, and he, I think he was trying to see like, well, you've reached this milestone, what's next and where you're going. And I, I'm very, very glad to tell him and to tell you that it's, it's a blessing to be here and I don't intend on going anywhere. So as long as you'll have me, I'll be here. Um, so thank you. Um, so this morning we're going to jump back into our, our sermon series, The Miracle Making God Known. Uh, one of the things about the series is kind of forcing us to be reminded that we have this God who's not just all powerful and big, but he desires to be made known to us. Uh, there's many ways God reveals himself to us. There's many ways he's made known in our world. But the four ways I've chosen is creation, compassion, justice, and provision. And of course, we know through scripture, through teaching, um, that Jesus is the ultimate revelation. He's the perfect manifestation of God. However, those of us who grew up in church or who go to church for a while, um, we often have this disconnect between God in the Old Testament, God in the New Testament. And, and it's, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, they're different persons, right? And that's okay, because they're, they're different persons. There's God the Father, there's God, there's Jesus. But the danger here is when we say that their, their character is different or their values are different, um, because then that leads us down this track where we end up in a place where we look at the God of the Old Testament, we're just like, well, I can't know that person, you know? And that's a great danger. If you worship or are trying to worship a God that can't relate, to you, that's going to cause some fissure. That's going to cause some tension. And it might even, you know, like damage that relationship because you're like, I don't know if God gets this or, or I don't understand who God is, you know, but praise God for Jesus. Because God knew that, you know, thousands of years later, we're going to be divorced from culture, from time, from place, from language, from understanding how the Old Testament people saw him. 
So God gave us Jesus. And who is Jesus but the perfect manifestation of God? Who is Jesus but the one who, if we see him, we have seen the Father, according to John. Jesus himself says, if you've seen me and you know me, you've seen and known the Father. Throughout the prophets, throughout the Old Testament, you know, there's always this thing about how we will tell you what it is going to be like. We will tell you what it is going to be like. But the writer of Hebrews says the sons didn't have, the prophets didn't have the perfect picture. But Jesus and Jesus alone is the exact representation of God. And one of my favorite explanations of this comes in Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he, he basically tells us that, that God knows that if you look through the Old Testament window and the Old Testament lens, you're going to see pictures of him. You're going to see glimpses of him. But all of us are going to kind of be behind like either a cracked mirror or a, a not like a mirror you can't see very clearly. However, when we get to Jesus Christ, God says that, Paul says to the Colossians, it pleased the Father to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. If you want to know God and God revealed, you must know Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to talk about justice and Jesus being the God who's just. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that we worship, that we serve, that we bow down, that we give our lives to the God of justice. Lord, we thank you that your justice is you making things right in your eyes. We thank you that your justice is the good news to the poor. It's the freedom for the imprisoned. It's the, 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 the sight for the blind and, and healing for the sick. We thank you that your justice is not just something that will come someday, but it's raining down now. And God, we thank you for this humble opportunity to join with you to bring justice to our world. For what is the gospel but good news to the poor? What's the gospel for healing the sick? What's the gospel but setting us free? We thank you that the God of justice invites us to do his justice. And in doing God's justice, we can partner with you in the spirit to make your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your holy and precious name, amen. amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, I'll be reading verses 14 and 22. Um, if you have your Bibles on you, you can just follow along up front on both sides. Starting at verse 14, we read, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious word that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, though, they asked? Jesus being the God of justice is important because being just reveals who Jesus is. And before we understand Jesus being just, we have to understand that he is the ultimate authority. This is a great reminder to us because Jesus is the ultimate authority. Now, a lot of times when we look about this, we think about how he's the ultimate authority in the future. That there's coming a day where, where Jesus is going to sit on the throne and we're going to go before the judgment seat and Jesus is going to decide, you know, who's been good and who's been bad. We look at the ultimate justice and the ultimate justice that is to come. 
However, in Acts 10, there's a story about Cornelius, which is very important to, to all of us, and especially those of us who don't have Jewish heritage, because we believe that Cornelius was, was the first non-Jew, the first Gentile to come into the kingdom. And it's this wonderful story that's about visions, about how God is here to save the world, and about how God is moving among us. But within that story, there's one line that Luke includes, and he says, don't forget almost, it's a reminder to us that God is the judge of the living and the dead. So when we think about God's justice, it's important to not just think about, oh, it will come someday. We need to remember that God is doing justice right now and that the judge who sits at the throne and the right hand of God is bringing his justice into the world. But what is this justice? Justice is simple, my simple definition, and, and you got to listen to me so you're stuck with it. You might have a better definition, but my simple definition of justice is simply this. Jesus working to make things right in God's eyes. That's important for us because we all have ideas of justice. If we pulled this entire room and said, what is justice? We would have lots of ideas and some might even be right. But it has to be not what we say is right. Not what we say feels good. Not what we, are, because here's the thing. We are not the arbiter of justice. We are not the, the, the ultimate good of the world. And here's the thing, because we're human. We tend to be a little bit self-centered, even when we mean well. And this self-centeredness leads us to a place where, where we think that we know best or we know what's justice, we know what's good. And when we put ourselves in the center, we forget that justice is what God says is good. Justice is what God came to do. Justice is Jesus making things right in God's eyes. And this is important because ever since the fall, we had a world that was created where God gave us shalom, peace with God. What a blessing. Peace with yourself. What a blessing. Peace with the world around you, the people around you, and all of creation. That's what we had. And sin and brokenness came in and brought this separation. The completeness we knew now leaves us in a world that feels incomplete. The shalom that we knew where everything was in harmony now looks like a bunch of, uh, of ripped up notes of the symphony just all spread around all among us. But the thing about it is ever since the fall, God has not given up on us. Ever since the fall, God has been working actively to bring his shalom back into the world. That's what his justice is. Because justice has to be foundational to who Jesus is. If you want to understand Jesus, you must understand his justice. A few weeks ago when I was preaching about God the Father being the God of justice, you know, I said, what, and what did Jesus say he came to do? And two people who were paying attention said, yeah, yeah, to save us from our sins. And that's true. And if I ask that question again, you might even say, yeah, 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 to, to, to show us that God is love. And that's true too. But if Jesus is only here to save you from your sins, you're missing what Jesus came to do. If Jesus is only here for the future, you're forgetting that God is working now. If Jesus is only here so that you can feel loved, you're forgetting that God so loved the world. Jesus is justice. It's the work that God is doing now. It's the work that Jesus came to do. It's the work that he found in Isaiah's scroll. Because here's the thing, the challenge for us isn't, not, isn't knowing that, you know, whether or not God is just or whether or not God is good. We have that. We understand that. I think the challenge is not forgetting that God desires his justice now. God desires his justice now. There's so many of us 
who I think we, we look at God's justice as, as a, like a little sibling hope. Now, if you're the oldest sibling, you're blessed and you cursed us with many things, us younger siblings. If you're the oldest sibling, you don't know what this is like. But if you're a younger sibling or if you have older cousins, you will feel this in your bones. There was nothing more powerful than when that older sibling or that older cousin did something and you just tried in all your might to, to, to try to recover and try to fight for yourself, but they were older and they were, you know, more annoying. And I would argue more cursed, but that's just me. That's not in the sermon, you know? It's not that this is taped or anything. But no, you would get to this point where they did something so bad to you that you couldn't fight back. And what would you say? Wait till mom gets home. And I kind of feel like that's how we look at God's justice in the world. We look at a world that's broken. We look at a world that needs healing. We look at the world that, that is, is seems seemingly covered in all this darkness and brokenness. And we just simply sit there and say, wait till Jesus comes back. And I think if that's how we're living, we're missing that God wants his justice now. We're missing that people who are on the throes and, and the death of life, that people who are sitting in darkness need God's justice now. We're missing that people who feel broken need God's justice now. We're missing that people who are imprisoned by whether it's a prison system or the, the, the addictions that holds them back. We're missing the fact that they need God's justice now. Justice for us sometimes becomes what God has done for us. And that's a great point. Tim Keller has a great book called um, Generous Justice. And in that book, he talks about how it's, it's this incredible thing where the justice of God meets at Calvary, and what we get out of it is grace. About how Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. But how Jesus Christ took on the punishment for what we've done, how by his stripes we are healed. So when we look at God's justice, we just praise him for his grace for us. But here's the thing I want us to remember. We are too good at taking even that understanding of God's grace and justice and making it all about us. For those of us who grew up in church, you might have heard of this verse before, John 3.16. We love that verse. Some of us, we even came into the kingdom on that verse. We grew up hearing, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But we're taught, or we teach ourselves, for God so loves me that he gave his one and only son. There's a difference there. Because if God is only for you, you're missing God's justice. And I would argue, if God is only for you, you're missing Jesus himself. And if we can take a verse that said, for God so loved the world, and only interpret it as, for God so loved me, we're missing the point. Jesus came for the world. The world needs Jesus. Yes, it's beautiful and it's great and it's wonderful that God so loved you, but never forget, he came for all of us. He desires that none might perish, that all might be saved. If you're saying for God to love the world and only seeing yourself in the mirror, I would argue you're missing the point. For God to love the world. That's why we have to understand justice. Because what is justice but Jesus making things right? In our scripture reading, we read Isaiah and Erica, um, Pastor Erica reminded us last week that Isaiah might have been Jesus' favorite because he quotes him a lot. And what I love about the, the scripture reading this morning is Isaiah looks and defines God's justice as this, is the valleys being raised up. 
It's the mountains and hills being made low. It's the rough ground being made level. It's the rugged places being made plain. That's God's justice. So if you're down in the valley this morning, you need God's justice because he desires that you in the valley can be raised up. But it's also a reminder that if you're blessed with power, with privilege, with education, with money, with whatever this world values, if you're sitting on the mountaintop and you're not working for God's justice, it's a reminder that God's justice will make you low. Because if your values are more important than what God values and you just like your power and privilege and you're not willing to sacrifice that privilege, God will make you low and call it his justice. There's people who we know, there's people ourselves that we know, who when they think about life right now, they just think about the rough patch they're in, the rough ground they're in. They think about the rugged places they've been or the rugged places they're still in. God's justice is saying, I know the ground is rugged. Let my God make it plain. I know the rough patch is hard. Let my God heal and transform you. Justice is God making things right. Jesus making things right, right now. And that brings us to this simple truth. We are saved to serve. You have been saved not just to go to heaven, not just for your eternal salvation. You've been saved because God needs you to bring his justice and your salvation is for serving this world. We have been graced to grace. If the cross is the perfect picture of God's justice and what we get out of that is grace, God expects us to grace our world. You can take it from the prophets. You can take it to the disciples. You can take it to John who knew Jesus the best. And they all say the same thing. How can you love a God who you have not seen with your eyes, but you do not love your sister and brother? How can you worship a God on your Sunday morning with your songs and and you're jumping up and down, but your life, your life, your life is not for your sister and brother. All of them say the same thing. God has graced you so that you can grace your world. God has blessed you so that you can bless your world. All of them say the same thing. It's not about faith versus works. It's if you have faith, We better see it by your works. And it's if we have faith, you better be bringing God's justice into this world. Because we have been loved to love. We have been given life to give life. So if there's people in your life that don't know what love feels like, you have been loved to love them. And if there's people in your life who are just struggling for that next breath, When Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, he's not just talking about heaven. He's saying, right now you can know me. Right now you can walk with me. Right now you can be set free. Right now you can know what life is and life to the fullest in me. And if you know that truth, Jesus expects you to go to the brokenhearted, to go to the imprisoned, to go to those that society leaves behind, and you need to tell them that right now my God can heal you. Right now my God can set you free. Right now my God can give you life and life more abundantly. Because if we are hungry and you want to tell me about eternal salvation, you better start with a piece of bread. And if I don't feel God's love and all you want to do is talk about God's love, you better at least be willing to give me a hug. God's justice is us doing God's work now. 
And that's why Jesus is like his father. Because God the Father expected his people to not just do his justice, but to look like him. And I love when people say, you know, you're just talking about a social gospel. And as a kid, that used to always, like, you know, annoy me. and I didn't have the words to say. Then I grew in my smart aleckness. And now I'm such a smart aleck, I say, oh, that's beautiful, the social gospel. Now I want you to read the actual gospels, and I want you to separate the social gospel. Good luck. I want you to separate what Jesus did that was social gospel and that's something different. Because here's the thing. Jesus seems to think they're intertwined. Jesus seems to think, I didn't just come for your soul. I came for your life. Jesus seems to think that if you're poor, you need to know you're loved. If you're broken, you need to know healing. If you're in darkness, you need to know he's the light. Jesus seems to think it's not separated, the saving of your souls and the saving of your life. We have been given life to give life. And when you read through those Gospels, I want you to think about how many times that our Jesus runs after the brokenhearted. How many times our Jesus stops and shows compassion on the weak. How many times our Jesus feeds the people who are hungry. Jesus almost seems like his father obsessed with feeding the hungry people. How many times are those who are oppressed that Jesus set free? Stop believing the lie that there's such a thing as a social gospel or a social justice gospel and start acting like you're Jesus and realize that if you believe in him, your job is to bring that justice. There is no separate social justice gospel. There's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? But good news to the poor. What is the gospel? But people who are broken knowing they can get healing. What is the gospel but people suffering from darkness, knowing that there's not only light at the end of the tunnel, but there's light in front of them, and that light can come inside of them, and that light can conquer any darkness. What is the gospel but not just knowing in the future I'll be okay, and when Jesus comes back, everything will be okay. What is the gospel but knowing that right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit within me, with the support of the body of Christ around me, and with Jesus as my guide, I can start my, world, my road to healing today. What is the gospel but what Jesus looks like? And I love Luke 4. Luke 4 is this beautiful scene, and it begins actually the chapter before when, when Jesus, the God of this universe, is baptized. And, and that's something I've been thinking about, you know, like we're doing baptism next month. Make sure you sign up if you haven't been baptized yet. Jesus, the God of this universe, was baptized. It just, it blows my mind every time I think about that. And this scene is beautiful because when Jesus comes to be baptized, God comes in the, the, the form of the dove and the dove rests upon him and it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But what I missed for years about Jesus' baptism wasn't just the God saying, I love you. You love me. You pledge your life to me. I'm well pleased. But it was God ushering in Jesus' ministry. It was God ushering in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus, you, you have to feel great if you're Jesus. You know, you've been walking this earth for 30 years. You get baptized and your father says, yes, son. Now is the time. Now is the time to go. And I almost picture it as Jesus is on the mountain of baptism. But there's something about this life where when we climb the mountains, we also get to be introduced to the deserts. And it's not a coincidence when Luke is putting this together. You have to remember, Luke is not just a doctor. Luke is brilliant. 
And it's not a coincidence that he starts with the, the mountain of baptism and Jesus in glory and Jesus with God and God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the very next chapter, guess where Jesus end up? In the desert. Jesus was baptized. God is pleased. His ministry is started. And then he's tested. And here's the thing about the desert. It was 40 days and 40 nights. You know? Uh, Emerson joked that I like meat. I'm not even trying to eliminate all food. But if you told me to go 40 days without meat, Jesus would be very mad at you. <laughs> not me. I'm working on being humble. But Jesus would be very mad at you for holding me, you know, oppressing me like that. But here's the thing about the 40 days and 40 nights. Remember, it comes after the highlight. Jesus has been walking this earth for almost 30 years, 30 years. And God finally says, now is the time. And right after he's on that mountaintop, he goes down to the valley and the desert and Satan comes to him and tempts him for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the first temptation is something physical. And you know he's hungry. It's been 40 days. And Satan says, look at the rocks, you know, command those rocks and turn them to bread. And Jesus fights back with Scripture, and he says, you know, it's been said, we shall not live by bread alone. And what a beautiful message to us in our culture today, because our culture tells us what? What you feel physically is what matters the most. Your desires is what matters the most. Your idea of what you want now and having it there and now is what matters the most. Our, our culture, ourselves, our family, we teach ourselves that what I think is what matters the most. What I feel is what matters the most. What I want is what matters the most. And Jesus says, no, it is not about the physical. It's not about living on your desires. Because the thing of it, if we only lived on our desires, we'd become addicts and we'd destroy ourselves. If we only live on our desires... We become even more self-centered than we are. <laughs> and we become living for ourselves and our desires. So to that, Jesus says, you shall not live by desires alone. And I feel like everyone in our culture today needs to hear that. You shall not live by desires alone. You must submit your desires to him and trust God to be with you. You shall not live by desires alone. And this second one always tripped me up. Because I believe that Jesus is the God of the universe. And Satan comes to him and says, listen. All these things have been put in my power. If you just bow down to me, you know, I, I, will, I will give it to you. And I'm like, but he's God. Yeah. Right? Like, how is that a temptation to God? And I thought about it. And I thought about the simple fact that how many things that God has blessed us with that we want to be the queens of or the kings of. I thought about our family which has become a God. Not God, but a God. And for some of us, our education has become a God. Our bank account has become a God. Our friendships has become a God. Our desires have become a God. The things that God has given us has become a God. And I thought about the temptation for us that we say all the time, that God, I know you're there, but my desire kind of matters more. God, I know you want this for me, but I'm all about my family right now. God, I know you want this, but I'm just working on my career. I just got to get through this education. God, I know you want me to serve, but I just can't serve right now because I just have to do this thing for me. That's the temptation. When the things that are already available to you are gifted to God by you, start mattering more than God himself. 
That's the temptation. And Jesus to that says, you shall not live or you shall not worship anyone else but God. We shall only worship God alone. And there's somebody in this room that needs to hear, stop worshiping your family. Stop worshiping your money. Stop worshiping your job. Stop worshiping the freedom that you have. Stop worshiping that desire. Stop worshiping yourself. Worship God alone. Family is a blessing. If you got money in your bank account, trust me, I know that's a blessing. You got an education, you got a job, that's also a blessing. But if any one of those things starts mattering more than God, or you're ordering your life around those things and not Jesus Christ, you're worshiping it. And God is a jealous God. And you will lead yourself to destruction because you're putting the gift ahead of the giver. And the last one, Satan comes back a third time. You got to give this to Satan, he's persistent. You can have a three good years and then you just have one bad day and Satan thinks that's a win. And even with Jesus, he comes back a third time. He says, okay, Jesus, let's go to this perch. Let's go to the top of this temple. And you know, God will always protect you. So just jump off and then the angels will come and they'll catch you. And Jesus looks at him and says, do not put your God to the test. And what a lesson for all of us, right? Because there's some of us, maybe just me, ever since I was a kid, you know, I always knew where the line was. And I had no interest of running past the line because that'll get you in trouble. But I did have a heavy interest in going just over the line just to see how much I can get away with, you know? So the classic story in my house is, you know, my aunt would bake cookies and be like, don't touch the cookies until after dinner. And little Henry would always come and, and, and I'd take one cookie and look her in the eye and take a bite and be like, but it's only one. And I feel there's a lot of us who live in our relationship with God that way. We know the good that we should do. We know the bad that we shouldn't do. But we live for what we can do. You following me? We know the good that we should do. We know the bad that we shouldn't do. But we base our lives on what we can do and what we can get away with. And we basically take God and say, well, all my sins are forgiven anyway. Or, well, God loves me anyway. And that's how we approach life, when our life should be submission and surrender and choosing to follow God. If you know the good that you should do, you better be doing it. And it's not about finding that line of what you can get away with because God's love is so big. It's about being committed to God and not putting God to the test. So Jesus goes to the mountain of baptism. He goes down to the desert. And when he comes out, he returns home. Home to Nazareth. Home to the people who knew him most. Home to the people who saw him grow up. Home to the people who've been there these last maybe 20, 25 years. And when he returns home to Nazareth, he goes to the synagogue. One of the things I think we forget because we're Christians is that Jesus was a very committed Jew. Is that Jesus went to the synagogue and was there to reveal God, but he was just there to tell them, you're missing it all. It's all about me. It's all pointing to me. So when Jesus goes to the synagogue, it wasn't like a one-time thing. Like no one walked in and be like, oh, Jesus is here. Welcome. It was customary. It was regular. It's what he did on the regular. So Jesus comes into the synagogue. And back then, what would happen is uh, the attendant would give you the, 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 the passage or the scroll, really not passage, they'll give you the scroll, and you would sit down, and you would read, and you would teach. But not Jesus. 
Jesus says, it might be customary that I show up all the time, but today I got a special message for you. So Jesus goes and he stands before the synagogue. He stands before the congregation. And then he finds his place. And for years I missed this. Because I always thought when Jesus comes to this passage and he says, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me uh, to, to, to preach good news to the poor and to proclaim good news to the poor and recover your sight to the blind. I always thought that Jesus had been saving this up for like 30 years. And he's like, when my time comes, I remember that what I learned in little synagogue school, and I'm going to give him that favorite passage of mine. But I missed it. But what happens is Jesus walks in, he stands up. The attendant gives him the, pa- the scroll. I keep saying passage, right? He gives him the scroll. Now, you have to understand this about scrolls in Jesus' day. You might not know this this morning, but if you have a Bible, that's a blessing. Because most of our Bibles have what? Chapter and verse. Furthermore, they have this thing called punctuation. Miss Bivens in ninth grade English would be so proud of me right now. Punctuation is a blessing. Because when they had the scrolls, they had no chapter, they had no verse, they had no punctuation. In fact, they didn't even do like little and big letters. It was all big. And all just, I don't know why I did that, but that's what it was, right? (laughs) And what I missed for years is that Jesus didn't just memorize this and couldn't wait to share it. It's that Jesus pointedly opens up the scroll and goes to that exact point. It's not an accident or a coincidence. It's very, very intentional. And Jesus quotes Isaiah a lot. But for this story, for this scene, he picks this passage. And they're amazed. And I love this. This is so perfectly human. They're amazed that like, oh, well, he really might be the Messiah. And on the other side, they had to like, isn't this Joseph's boy? You know, they're, they're wrestling with both of them. But the human side wins out because at the end of the story, Jesus is being forced out of town because they're trying to kill him. But we'll get to that. I just want you to focus on what Jesus said. Because we have to remember that Jesus comes to bring God's justice. That it's not just about what is to come. Because here's the thing I want to tell us this morning. If your theology or your understanding about Jesus is only about saving souls, you're forgetting God's justice. If it's only about people's eternal security and eternal life, you're forgetting that Jesus came to set prisoners free. You're forgetting that this world around you, they might want to hear the gospel, but they also might just want a piece of bread. You're forgetting that this world around you is filled with people who don't know their value, who don't feel like anyone could possibly love them. And it's not enough for you to tell them that God loves them or that you love them. You have to what? Actually love them. Jesus comes not just to save souls, but to give life and to give it now. When Jesus says, I've come to give them a life and life more abundantly, he's not just talking about heaven. He's speaking to people who are poor to know they have value, to people who are broken to know they can be healed, to people who have been abandoned to know they can have a home, to people who are refugees and strangers and aliens to know that they belong to him, to people who've been orphaned to know that God is their father, to people who've suffered loss, to know that you can be comforted. Jesus comes to give life now. So I ask you again, what is the gospel but good news to the poor, for freedom for the prisoners, but sight for the blind, for the oppressed to be set free? And then he ends by proclaiming the year of God's favor. A lot of theologians think he's going back to Jubilee and the year of Jubilee. But the thing about Jubilee is it was cyclical. 
You know, depending on how you understand Islam, Islam, depending on how you understand of Judaism, it was very, very cyclical. Jesus didn't come for cyclical blessings. The year of the Lord's favor that Jesus ushered in was on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus isn't just saying, in 40 years, you will know my blessing. Jesus is saying, for 40 years and for forever, you will know my blessing. So when he ushers in the year of the Lord's favor, you don't have to be like, you know, 10 years from now, it'll be time for God to bless me. You can say, no, 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 no. He's come for justice on earth as it is in heaven. And today I can know salvation. Today I can know healing. Today I can know blessing. So what does God want us to take from this message? If Jesus' justice is God being made known to us, I think the first thing I want you to hold on to is simply this. Jesus expects you to join his work for justice. When Jesus says to the disciples, follow me, it's not only about eternal salvation. Because here's the thing. If Jesus walked up to those fishermen and said, follow me, and they said, yes, we believe in you, and they went back to fishing, would they truly be his disciples? There's so many of us, we read that verse where Jesus says, follow me, and we think it's only about what I believe or what I think or what he's done on the cross. Follow me means follow me. Revolutionary, I know. Follow me means what I do, you do. What I say, you obey. What I ask, you serve and do. Jesus calls us to follow him and to follow his example. And doing God's justice then becomes a sign of what you believe. I love that John knew Jesus the best. And time and time again, he says, how can you love God who you haven't physically seen with your eyes and not love your sister? How can you say the love of God is in you and you don't love the person who's sitting next to you? It's not about faith and works and competing against each other, but the prophets... The disciples, the early Christians, basically just about everyone except us, believed that if you truly had faith, your life will truly show it. Which means that if your life doesn't truly show it, you don't truly have faith. They go together. So it's not just about doing God's justice because you believe, but if you're not doing God's justice, do you really believe? But here's the thing about justice that I want to tell you. If you're seeking to do God's justice, I'm not saying this to scare you, but you need to know. Prepare for the deserts to come. Because if the people are in the valley and God wants to raise them up, there's going to be people in the mountains that God needs to put down. And the people in the mountains tend to have the power. And the people in power tend to not want to let go of it. So you have to understand that if people are hungry and you're trying to feed them, if people are addicted and you're trying to set them free, if people are in darkness, you're trying to shine a light, if people are orphaned and abandoned, you're trying to give them a home. How about this one? If people are, are strangers or refugees or immigrants and you're trying to welcome them in, the people in power will not let go of that easily. And the deserts will come. So you need to pray to God for perseverance. But you need to also know the desert will come. Because scripture reminds us time and time again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That there's powers and principalities in this world that's working to keep people oppressed. And that's what makes us feel good. You know the one that doesn't make me feel good? is the personal side of it. 
It means that there's privileges that I have that might be causing someone to stay in the valley and I have to be willing to let go of that privilege and to help my sister up. And that one's harder for us because it's very easy for me to be like, yeah, there's principles and principalities and powers. We need to fight against them. But there's also privileges that you have in your heart. There's also struggles that you have or things that you're doing that's keeping people down. And when God shows it to you, you need to release that privilege, release that power, and set the prisoners free. But here's the thing about the desert. Remember what Jesus did in the desert. I'm not saying it's going to be hard because you're left alone. I'm saying it's going to be hard to be prepared. But remember how Jesus fought back against Satan. The first thing he did it with was by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when you're fighting for justice and the world tries to put you in the desert, take a deep breath and then let the Spirit of God fill you up. Know that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Know that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here's the other one. How did Jesus fight back? With Scripture. When I was younger, you know, I, I read the Scripture because I'm like, you're supposed to read the Bible. That's what you're supposed to do. Then I got a little bit more holy, and I was just like, I think I can spend time with God. This is a good thing, you know? But when you're in the desert, when you're at the lowest of low, the Scripture that you've studied, the Scripture that you've memorized in your heart, the things that God has shown you, they can be salvation. When you feel like you have no value and God just simply whispers in your ear, you're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. When you feel like you can't beat this addiction and God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, when you feel like the darkness of this world is just all around you, you can't conquer it, God will whisper in your ear, it's okay, because my true light is already shining in this darkness. When you go into the desert place, know that the scripture is there to help you and the spirit is inside of you, because that's going to help you pull someone else out of that desert place. And that's important for us to know because here's the other thing about doing God's justice is it's going to bring danger and it's going to bring foes. There's going to be people who don't want to set people free. There's going to be people who don't want people who are, are blinded or people who are in prison to know the freedom that Christ brings. Jesus himself in his own hometown said, this is what I come to do is bring God's justice. And the reaction was to kill him then. Know that if you desire to do God's justice in this world, the world's not going to like it. But here's the thing, and this is, I think, maybe the hardest part. And it's tricky, and I'm trying to say this right, so I'm hoping you get it. But we have to let God make the world right. And this is hard, because this entire sermon is, let's go do God's justice in the world, Right? But there comes a place where those of us who mean well, those of us who just want what's good for everyone else, there comes a time when we take our eyes off of Jesus and Jesus making things right, and we don't even realize we do this sometimes, but we make it about us and we making things right and what we say is right. 
And Jesus has a lot of, you know, things to kind of help us on this. He's got the spirit, which we're supposed to submit to. He's got the body of Christ, which we're supposed to submit to. He's got scripture, which we're supposed to teach us how to live. But yet and still we forget those three things and it becomes about what I want, what I say is just, what I say is right. Let God be God. Let God make the world right. He's been at it for thousands of years. He's kind of an expert in doing that. Let God make the world right. Now you can ask God, where can I partner with you? Where can I jump into the work you're doing? That's all good, good, good. But if you are the arbiter of justice, if you are the one that's going to make this world all better, if you're the one who's going to save everyone, then you've begun to worship yourself. You've begun to make it about you and not what God wants to do in the world. So then the natural question becomes, if I'm just supposed to trust God and let him make what's right, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we can let God make the world right. But what God needs of us is to go to the hungry, is to go to the thirsty, is to go to the stranger, is to go to the naked and vulnerable, is to go to the imprisoned. Because we live in a world of people who hunger and thirst for a God they don't know. We live in a world where people have been taught to fill themselves up with everything this world has to offer, whether it's our education or our family or our money or our status. But everyone has this thing that's been called the God-shaped hole. Only God can fulfill that part of you. And that's the world that you live in. And that might even be the body that you live in if you want to make it about yourselves, if it's about yourselves. But here's the thing. God's going to do the work of making everything right. But if you see the people around you hungering and thirsting for Jesus Christ, go and bring God's justice. If you see the people around you trying to fill themselves up with all the things of the world that you know is only going to lead to destruction and death, go and bring God's justice to them. And one of the things I think we forget as Christians it makes us good Americans, but horrible Christians, actually, is that Scripture has more to say about the refugee, about the stranger, about the immigrant, than just about everything else. So if you're getting your calling card from your Constitution, or you're getting it from your political parties, or you're getting it from what you think is right, I'm going to need you to do a little better about bringing God's justice. Because our Jesus himself was a refugee and an immigrant. Our Jesus himself fled death as a baby. Our Jesus himself knew life because someone took him in. God is going to make the world right. But if there's refugees among you, if there's strangers among you, if there's immigrants among you, God, from Genesis to Revelation, is perfectly clear, love and welcome in the stranger. God tells us to Israel all the time, when you were in Egypt, you were the refugee and the immigrant, and I took you in. Go and do the same. And Jesus will say the same thing to us. We do not get the privilege, or if we do, we need to lose it. But you do no longer, when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you no longer get the privilege of rejecting the refugee and the immigrant. You do not get that privilege. And I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings, but that's okay. God will help you through it. Amen. 
It's not about your constitution or your political party or your affiliation. Jesus calls us to love the refugee and the immigrant. So while you can worry about God making things right, if there's refugee among you, go and welcome them in. And here's the other one. There's people among us who are vulnerable. And the thing about that is, all of us know somebody right now who's vulnerable in some way. Go to them and be their voice. Be their advocate. Be the one that brings them into the kingdom. We're going to end by singing a song, which is actually one of my favorite songs. Um, a song called Tremble. And, and in this song, we, we sing the simple line of, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. And I love that. And the reason I love that is because so many of us have been taught that the darkness is too powerful. That the darkness is more powerful than our God. That what we struggle with, it's just, it can't, we can't, you can't conquer it. That, that what's broken in this world just can't be healed. So many of us right now are in the depths of despair because we have taught ourselves or we hold on to this thing that our darkness is more powerful than our God. And we might never say it. We just act like it. So I love this song because it reminds us that when Jesus comes to bring peace, even the darkness trembles. It reminds us that there's nothing we go through that God hasn't already redeemed in someone else or God isn't redeeming right now. It reminds us that whatever darkness we face, praise God who's the light. Praise God who calls you the light. Praise God who puts in you the light. So I'd like to invite you to stand and sing this song and remind yourselves that Jesus makes the darkness tremble. I'd like to also call up the intercessors. We'd love to pray for you for whatever you've got going on. Maybe you need God to, to, to tell you that you need his justice right now and you need God to set you free and give you that justice. Or maybe you need God or God is telling you, this is the person who's vulnerable in your life. I need you to pray for them and go and bring them justice. I don't know what you've got going on. Maybe you just need somebody up here to say, well done, my sister. Or God is with you. God will not leave you or forsake you. Wherever it is you're going through, praise God who makes the darkness tremble. Praise God who sets us free. Let's sing together.